When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, Michigan is now 9-0, two weeks at home, Nebraska and Illinois coming up, but we're going to get a chance to touch a little bit more on that trip to Piscataway and one of the stars of the show, that was Michael Barrett, two interceptions, one of them returned for a touchdown, all of that coming up in just a few moments on In the Trenches. Welcome to the official podcast of Michigan football, In the Trenches with John Jansen, presented by Meyer, presenting sponsor of the 2022 Michigan football season and proud supporter of hundreds of local sports teams across the Midwest. The former two-time captain and national champion covers the Wolverines better than anyone. We kind of have, we have our future in our own hands, you know, we have, we have that. All we have to do is just keep playing our ball, keep playing what we're, keep doing what we're doing and keep winning. This is In the Trenches, presented by Meyer. Once again, here's John Jansen. Welcome back, friends. And before we get started, a big thanks to Meyer, the presenting sponsor of In the Trenches, the 2022 Michigan football season, and hundreds of teams across the Midwest. Find more in the Meyer app. Plan, shop, save, and get deals made just for you. Plus, enjoy an even more personalized shopping experience with M-Perks. Check your M-Perks rewards, see favorites on sale, shop, and more. And when fast and easy convenience is the key, check out our services like Shop and Scan and Meyer Home Delivery and Pickup. There's more in the Meyer app. See what you're missing. Download the Meyer app to get started today or learn more at mperks.com. Meyer is a proud supporter and fan of the 2022 Michigan football season. 
already out on MGoBoo Podcast this week. In case you missed it, the radio replay of Inside Michigan Football. Matt Weiss, offensive coordinator. J.J. McCarthy, we know him. He's the quarterback. And Jim Harbaugh, of course, joined me. Post-game edition of Defend the Block following the season opener against Purdue Fort Wayne. Still to come this week, Conquering Heroes on Thursday. Some key NIL updates centered around some updated NCAA guidance on the matter. I'm sure you don't want to miss that. Friday morning, the preview episode of In the Trenches for the Nebraska game. Some keys to the game, as well as a little bit of a rallying cry to make sure that everybody's ready for these final two home games. Saturday morning, post-game edition of Defend the Block. And that's going to come after the Michigan and Eastern Michigan game. And then late Saturday night, we're going to get a chance to recap a win over Nebraska right here on In the Trenches. Now I want to bring in my partner here. That's Mr. Brian Bush, voice of Michigan basketball and excited about the overlap between football season continuing and basketball season starting. It's a great time of year. Yeah, it is. And full disclosure, we are recording this before the Michigan-Purdue-Fort Wayne game, so hopefully a big win. Uh, I think we all expect it to be. But how about this? The head coach for Purdue-Fort Wayne, John Kaufman, He's got a ton of Michigan alums in the family. He grew up a Michigan football fan. His son was Jim Harbaugh for Halloween, not this past Halloween, but the Halloween before. So uh, there might be a little maize and blue in in the Purdue-Fort Wayne coach, which is kind of cool. There we go. Yeah, but uh, we are talking football here, and let's get into our seven from 77. And, you know, this landscape in college football was really shaken up last week. We'll kind of go game by game, conference by conference in a little bit. But I want to ask you about that Michigan performance in the second half and, and probably specifically in the third quarter. Can that version of Michigan football win the national championship? 100%. When you create turnovers and you create momentum-changing plays defensively, and the amount of three and outs, you've got that blue wall that everybody talks about, the run wall. Um, that's a defense that can win a national championship. And then you look at offensively, the consistency with which they move the football uh, on the ground as well as the play-action pass through the air. It's all right there. And then it just comes down to execution. And when you have a quarter where you score 28 points, that that is a show one of force but also that you can have all three phases playing at a very high level at the same time, and the results speak for themselves. Number two, the problem for Michigan to this point is that that kind of a stretch has not been maintained. I think it's fair to say that the Wolverines' best 60-minute uninterrupted stretch is probably still out there for them. Uh, Yeah, perfect football, of course, is impossible, but there have been too many... Not peaks and valleys, but peaks and kind of return to the midpoint. How do they put together that full or close to a full 60 minutes? Well, every single week, it's got to be a little bit better. And we all know that it comes down to winning the Big Ten, winning the Big Ten East. You're going to have to play that 60 minutes down in Columbus. So you learn from, hey, having a a bad half against Penn State, and not a bad half, but where you have plays that cost you going into halftime. It was a dominant performance, but yet you go in only up three points, and you say, well, how is that possible? Well, it's the 
it's those two or three plays, and you don't know when they're going to happen, that you always have to be prepared for. And it's the fact that, hey, sometimes it's not a round ball. It's going to bounce weird ways. You've got to understand that, learn from it, and then figure out ways to make it bounce in your favor more times than not. Then you look at uh, at the first half of the Rutgers game, and you say, okay, well, how could they have done things better? Well, it comes down to execution. If they don't give up that punt block for a touchdown, Michigan maybe gets the ball back and goes down and scores, and it's completely different. If they hit Andrell Anthony on that long pass, things are a little bit different. You, you know, you've got a Marion Walker um, who's got the ball in his in the breadbasket and drops it. All of those different things lead to a subpar first half. It's still championship football because you did what you had to do to win the game. But that performance is not going to be what beats Ohio State. It might not beat Illinois. So you know every single week you've got to play better. And then when it comes down to it, and this is why everybody asks, well, why is the Ohio State game always at the end of the year? You want the two top programs in the Big Ten, Ohio State and Michigan, playing their best football at the right time. And that way, hey, the best team will win. And everybody involved, Ohio State fans, Michigan fans, Fans of college football are going to be the ones that win because they're going to watch an outstanding performance. Number three on our seven from 77. We touched on this during the postgame episode from Rutgers, which was released Sunday morning. Uh, but the offensive line shuffling that happened against the Scarlet Knights, no Ryan Hayes. He was not able to go. So Jeff Percy started. He came out. Trevor Keegan shifted to left tackle. Giovanni Elhadi, who's been kind of a utility player for Michigan, came in at left guard. Then Keegan left early. Uh, of course, no Trente Jones again this past week after suffering the injury a few weeks back. So assess everything you saw and, and comment on just how challenging that is in the flow of a game to do that much shuffling. I mean, it, it's been almost an every week thing. Carson Barnhart's basically playing the bingo card there for where he's been on the offensive line. Yeah, and we watched in week one, Ryan Hayes didn't play. Carson Barnhart started at left tackle. Then he came out, Trevor Keegan kicked out, Giovanni Elhadi went in, and when you have that flexibility of Carson Barnhart can play left tackle, right tackle, he can really play any choir across the front. You've got a guy in Trevor Keegan who can do something very similar. Um, you know That allows you great flexibility, and it's also about being prepared and ready. The one thing that I have fallen in love with with this offensive line, and especially with Giovanni Ohadi, is a guy goes down, Jeff Percy came limping off the field, and his helmet's on, it's strapped up, he's paying attention to what's going on, and you go in there and you perform. And I actually, uh, on the Inside Michigan Football on Sunday morning, highlighted a couple of his plays. When he wor- went in there, Jeff Percy, who did played a good game, got beat on the inside, and Giovanni was right there to pick him up and make a good block, a, a, a block that was very important. It was a completion to Ronnie Bell. Now all of a sudden, the next play, it's a big run for the offense, and who pulls on it? Giovanni Alhadi. He pulls over, Max Bredesen comes over, and they put in two great blocks that spring the running back to go, I think it was 50 yards. So you've got to be able to be ready at a moment's notice. This offensive line has proven that they can. They have interchangeable parts. And that's really what is making this, right now, a special season for the offensive line. Number four on our seven from 77. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Nebraska. We'll have your keys on Friday. I'm disappointed there is no Scott Frost uh, to 
fuel you for the locker room speech, though I have a strange feeling he'll somehow uh, he get may spring. make an appearance. Yeah, congr- not physically, but um, no. in in the in the pregame speech, I figured as much. But assess this Nebraska team since Mickey Joseph took over. There have been some rumblings that maybe Joseph could be the long term head coach there. Uh, thoughts on him and, and that potential. Uh, if they were to go that route. Well, sometimes in a program, you just need a different voice. And after he took over, they had wins against Indiana and Rutgers. Now they're on a three-game slide. It's not the fix-all um, to a program, but it can be um, a boost in a, in, a, in a year where you're kind of going down the same path you have in previous seasons. And you, you want to try and and break that chain somehow. So Mickey Joseph goes in there, and I don't necessarily know that he's going to be the guy they go with. I know he's in there. There's other play, other players in that as coaches. Matt Rule, I know, is a name that's been bantied about since he was let go in Carolina. He had great success at, at, at Baylor, and there's some other names. But he's rejuvenated these kids, and he's stabilized things. One of the things when you have a coaching change that the players – become very um, you know, anxious about their future, about what they're doing, about their position on the team. And Mickey Joseph, already having been on the staff, has really stabilized that for these players. And that, to me, is probably the most important thing. Wins or losses obviously are good, and they, 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 they've gotten a couple of those. But that stabilization for the student-athlete has been good for the program, but more importantly for the student-athlete. Yeah, no doubt. It was a quick trigger by Nebraska to get rid of Scott Frost. A lot of moving parts, and the Huskers have been competitive. Not obviously a a true contender, but they have been competitive. More on them coming up Friday. Let's get to the Big Ten results from this past week uh, as number 5 on 7 from 77. Ohio State, a 21-7 win at Northwestern. C.J. Stroud, 10 of 26, 76 yards. Conditions were not ideal. Uh, Very windy there. But, boy, a 14-point win over one win Northwestern. Uh, Your impressions of that as we all start to – the team's not doing it a whole lot, but we can start to really lock in on the Buckeyes and start thinking about that game because – these teams, they're almost fully formed. A couple more tests before the big one. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me is to watch Northwestern be able to run the football. Um, 206 yards rushing to you know Ohio State's 207. Uh, let's call that an absolute wash. And the fact that Ohio State, di- they seem very hesitant to get to the run game. They, they want those explosive plays. They've got the most talented receiving room in college football. And, and obviously, you want to be able to utilize them. But... They do have talent at running back. They just, for some reason, are really hesitant to go that route. And when you show up in a game where the conditions are less than ideal, you know, you got forty mile an hour winds, fifty mile an hour gusts, you've got rain blowing sideways. You would think that they would go to that immediately. I'm, I'm, I, I do have some questions about how they operate their offense. Have some questions about. You know, do they really want to play in conditions like that? We saw it last year in the big house when it started snowing and it was a different team. And so a lot to to still be determined in the 18 days uh, as we record on a Monday leading up to the Ohio State game. Yeah, we're going to start to know what the weather report will look like. I think you can go as far out as 15 days. So we're getting close to being able to see what it'll look like in Columbus. I mean, if you're given the option, do you want tough conditions for that game? I think it 
better serves Michigan based on how they play the game. Oh, yeah. I, I want a tough conditions in that because Michigan is the tougher team, not just physically, but mentally. And, and quite honestly, a little bit of a, a jab at Ohio State, Michigan's going to have to be the tougher team mentally to be able to go down to Columbus 100%. and show that last year wasn't a one-off, go down there and perform the way that they did. That's, that's really what this game is going to come down to. Uh, also, last week, Michigan State wins it at Illinois 23-15. I, I can't say I saw that one coming. Well, no, I don't think anybody would would be able to say that without lying. Um, but I think it just what it does is highlight the difference between playing in the Big Ten East and playing in the Big Ten West. You had the first place team who's currently still in first place because everybody else is really bad in the Big Ten West play against one of the teams that's tied for last place in the Big Ten East. Go and put them in their place. So I think it just highlights the the discrepancy between the two divisions. If anybody wants to keep divisions once USC and UCLA join, just show them that score and then the standings and yep. say, yeah, we're not going to do that. Uh, Big 10 West, so Illinois, as you mentioned, still in first place at 4-2. and two. There is now a four-way tie at 3-3 three and three for second place. Purdue, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. The big ones this week, Purdue is at Illinois. Wisconsin at Iowa, that's basically an elimination game. I mean, Illinois is still the favorite, but they got to come to the big house a week from Saturday. It feels kind of wide open. And you know the team that I think is probably playing the best in the West? Maybe Wisconsin under Jim Leonard. It very well could be. Um, and we'll find out what they're able to do offensively against uh, Iowa. Um, Iowa's still a good defense, even though they can't move the ball offensively. But Purdue and Illinois, what type of response does Illinois have after taking that L uh, against Michigan State? And it's going to be at home. They want to fine-tune everything before they come to the big house. And it's an opportunity for them, a program that has struggled for so long. They have an opportunity to go to Indianapolis. They're still the front runner in the clubhouse. They want to make sure that they do everything they can because they do know that they're going to have to come to Ann Arbor and they're going to be heavy underdogs in that game. No doubt. All right, number six on today's seven from 77. Nationally, absolute chaos. Not really going to break it down by conference because the teams that Michigan needs to be worried about, the teams that are in the conversation starting to dwindle, or at least we understand more of what is necessary, starting with Georgia beating Tennessee 27-13. to I mean, I think it's fair to say that the reigning champs are still the team to beat. I was surprised at just how many people who picked Tennessee. I figured it was going to be close, but, boy, it's one thing to beat Alabama at home. It's another thing to go down there to Georgia and win, and, and Georgia kind of handled this thing from the start they did and I think there are some people that really get caught up in oh well they beat Alabama that's that's a measuring stick and and it should be but it doesn't mean that yeah Texas A&M did it last year and where where did they end up what are they doing now so it doesn't mean it's sustainable success they're a good team Tennessee but Georgia has played in those big games they're at home uh, and Tennessee still has, I think, some deficits when you give up, even though they won, you gave up 49 points to Alabama. Now you're going to somebody else's house, you're going to, to, to Athens, and it's a completely different animal. They're learning. Some of those young players on that team, I think, have some good things ahead of them in the, in the next few years. I just don't think that they're there yet. So I wasn't surprised. Yeah, also the big score, Notre Dame – Pummels Clemson 
35 to 14 in South Bend. We've been talking about it for weeks. Clemson at 13 and 0 was going to get in no matter what mm-hmm. because of the brand and and because of what they've done in the past. Now, boy, there aren't many paths for them because not only did they lose, but they lost by a lot. Well, they lost by a lot. And when you look at their schedule, you look at their opponents, you look at everything and the fact that they they honestly should have lost to Syracuse. Now they didn't. So, you know, but when you look at how they're playing and the fact that I don't know that anybody can really look at Clemson's offense and say, I, I could trust that offense to be a point-scoring machine. They just can't. They they struggle too many times to protect the football. They struggle to convert third downs. Uh, and I'm not surprised uh, at the Notre Dame score. I'm surprised that it was as big of a gap, uh, but I'm not surprised that Clemson lost. Also in the SEC, heck of a game. LSU 32, Alabama 31. Tigers with a two-point conversion in overtime to win it. They now have the tiebreaker on both Bama and Ole Miss in the SEC West. Finished their league games with two roadies at Arkansas this week. They have a home non-conference game against UAB. The following and then Thanksgiving weekend at Texas A&M. Does LSU finish it off? Do they go to Atlanta for the SEC championship game? It's going to be. I think they do. Um, But what's going to be interesting if, and it's a big if, they're able to upset Georgia in that championship game, what does the playoff committee do? Because you have a two-loss SEC champ. The team that they just lost is the defending national champ with only one loss. Uh, And then... Tennessee beat LSU 40 to 13. So Tennessee needs Georgia to go all the way and and win and win dominantly. Yeah. But if it is literally 12 and 1 Georgia, 11 and 2 LSU and 11 and 1 Tennessee with basically just hey, transitive property, you're just going in an infinite loop. I don't know. There there has not been a situation like that the committee has had to face. No, it's going to be very entertaining. Uh but what I do think it it could mean is that if Ohio State takes care of business. Michigan takes care of business. And they meet in Columbus as 11-0 and opponents. Then they play a you know instant classic, a great game. I think both of them have a solid chance of getting into the college football playoffs. This weekend certainly helped with that. The only area that it really didn't was in the Big 12. TCU, another late rally. They beat Texas Tech 34-24. I think it's pretty clear on that end. 13-0 TCU, based on what happened now, I think they're in no matter what. Anything less, I think they're out pretty much no matter what. Yeah, and the interesting thing about TCU was the lack of respect that they had on on last Monday night, from, or Tuesday night, from the playoff committee. Um, they are They technically have the hardest schedule to this point, and they're undefeated. There was a stretch where they played four games in a row of – ranked opponents there's nobody else that has done that and so it's it'll be interesting but I think they are a they've got to win it to get in it TCU is a great example of a team that the the 12 team playoff is going to help a lot because man when you have thrilling games like they've had I mean they've had some great comebacks if you have an auto bid for the top six conference champs you don't have to worry about that you win your league you're in Worrying about style points. I mean, you guys in 97 just win. Yeah. Imagine the conversations around this. You know, I know there were some because it was a, a poll. But, man, it's just just win the games. Just yeah. win the games. And and that's what TCU has. Uh, lastly, Pac-12, I think because of what happened, maybe they're back alive. Oregon needs Georgia to keep rolling because, 
Well, Oregon lost to them 49 to three. Remember, yeah. um, USC, UCLA, they're all eight and one overall. It, it's probably going to take some doing. Certainly they need TCU to lose at least once, but this weekend at least got the Pac-12, I think, back in it if they don't all beat up on each other. Yeah, they're they're in the conversation. There's still, I think, a lot that has to happen before you would see a Pac-12 team in the college football playoffs, and it's really simply because the SEC is so strong and the top end of the Big Ten is very strong. And by that, I mean Ohio State and Michigan. This weekend, compared to last, at least on paper, doesn't look as potentially chaotic. Uh, What else are you going to be keeping your eyes on? Bama's at Ole Miss. TCU goes to Texas. Oregon hosts Washington. It's crazy, though. I mean, Alabama could be out of every conversation. Well, after this weekend. It very well could be. And, I mean, we're talking about LSU. Don't forget about Arkansas and Sam Pittman. They've yep. played some of these big-time teams tough in big moments. And and they're a team that, that, that could be a tough out. And also Missouri. Missouri, remember how they played Georgia? It's close. There was some consternation in Athens at that time. I think Missouri plays Tennessee this week. Missouri does play yeah. Tennessee. So, you know, we'll we'll wait and see what happens. And uh, and obviously maybe our, uh, our Hoosiers down in Bloomington can uh, come alive for a week. It's a fitting way to transition away <laughs> from the national conversation there, John Jansen. Hey, it could be windy. You never know. Uh, yeah. All right, number seven, let's pivot back to Michigan and our player guest this week, Mike Barrett. Yeah, it, it feels like sometimes he's kind of a forgotten guy when you're talking about the stars of this defense based on what the pass rush has gotten from the front four, the play of Junior Colson in that linebacker room, the emergence of some real stars in the secondary but he's a huge piece to this defense. How do you measure his impact? Well, it, it's it's hard to measure. Obviously, on Saturday you can measure it because he had the two sure. interceptions, had the pick six, and and the the moments at which he had them came at, at at crucial moments, so that it you know it turned that you know halftime deficit into a a third quarter surplus. But I think for him, it's he's a very unassuming guy on the field. And he doesn't go out there. He's not a rah-rah guy. He just goes out and does his job. His impact it can be felt, and, and it, the example is that first interception. He is the former Viper. And the former Viper is a position that is, yeah, at times linebacker at sometimes defensive back. When you have that experience of covering wide receivers, covering slot receivers, you then can put Mike Barrett in a situation like that. It's not ideal, but when you face all of these offenses that are trying to go hurry up and they're not letting you sub things in, when you have Michael Barrett out there as part of your personnel, you can be very flexible in how you match things up. And uh, I think he is having a tremendous season. The other thing about Mike Barrett that that I think is is underrated is his contributions on special teams. He is he is a guy that has attention to detail, and that's exactly where you need it. And right now for Michigan special teams, he's going to have to be a guy that steps up and make sure everybody has that attention to detail. So I hope everybody enjoys the conversation I have with Michael Barrett. Joined now by Mike Barrett, uh, hero in uh, Piscataway. First of all, Mike, thanks for joining us. And I talked to Coach Harbaugh earlier in the week, and one of the things that he mentioned when he was talking about you was that that was a game he thinks you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Uh, You think that one's going to last? 
Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I hope that it, it gets, you know, put down from more plays in the future. But uh, I definitely feel like that'll be one I'll always remember. So you got the interception, first of all. Let, walk us through the first pick that you had because you're in man coverage. Uh, or at least it looked like you are in man coverage, and you're in the hip pocket. You're doing everything technically right. Ball ends up in your hands. What's your thought at that point about you got down to the nine-yard line? Did you think you could you were going to get it in the end zone? Yeah, I definitely I definitely thought I was going to score. Uh, once I went down, I'm like, ah, oh, that should have been six. <laughs> and I, I ran off to the sideline, and I'm like, I got to score. I, I should have scored that. They're like, oh, you, you can't score? Like, you can't get it in the end zone? And I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm going to get another one. I, I told them that as soon as I went to the side, I'm, I'm going to get another one. And yeah, it just it, it felt great. So you got the turnover buffs on. Yeah. Um, and first of all, what's it like do, being able to celebrate that way on the sidelines? That's not something that was normal when I played. Now you guys, it's it's normal in college football. You guys have a unique thing with the turnover buffs. What's it like to put those on on the sideline? Uh, yeah, it feels great to put them on. I, uh, w- once we brought them in, I'd never, like everyone wanted to see how they felt, how they felt. I was like, nah, I'll put them on when I get my turnover. So it, it felt great to finally be able to put them on, um, be able to, you know, sit, take the, take the picture with the defense and, you know, have all the guys come over and just congratulate you on what you did. It's just it feels it feels good. It feels amazing, honestly. So the next time the defense takes the field, the exact next rep, balls up in the air, it gets batted up, it's in your hands. <laughs> what are you thinking at that point? I mean, well, once once it was tipped and I I seen I saw it in the air, I'm like my eyes got wide and I'm just like, thank you God, like. And once I once I got it in my hand, well, first before I was like, just you telling it. yourself, don't drop it, <laughs> just catch it. That's that's the, that's all running through my hand, man. Just just catch it. And once I got it in my hands, um, I'm like, yeah, it's no way. There's no way I'm not scoring this one. I have to punch it in. And yeah, I gave I gave him a little spin move and, and got there. Well, and obviously you get to wear the turnover buffs, take another picture. But it doesn't last long because Will Johnson gets his next interception. <laughs> yeah. I know you want the best for your teammates, but did you think you'd get a chance to wear them just a little bit longer? I mean, yeah. I mean, after after a pick six, you know, like you really can't even wear them that long because the defense right back up. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of put them on, take the picture, take them back off. I thought I was going to get another one because he threw, um, I'm pretty sure, the exact same route to to Will. Um the wheel that I got my first pick on. So I thought he was about to throw me another one, and my eyes got big again. But uh, I'm glad that Will got the opportunity to get his. And in, in your football life, have you had a 10-minute stretch? And, I mean, let's just call it in terms of playing time, about a 20-second playing time quite as impactful in a game as that was on Saturday. Um, no, nah, I don't, I don't think I, 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 I have, um, honestly, I mean, playing quarterback, you know, I made like a couple touchdowns back to back, I would say, but a game changing interception pick six, I, I don't think none, none of it tops that. Now it was, it was vitally important that you guys came out of the locker room and had those plays, made those statements because you go in, you're down 17, 14. What was the, let's, let's start there. What was the. What was the conversation? What was it like in the locker room at halftime going in down 17-14? Um, I mean, it was just a lot of motivation, a lot of guys just telling each other, you know, that we're good, um, that they really they made a couple plays. Um, I was kind of telling everyone, like, yeah, they made a couple plays that capitalized on a couple deep balls. 
But other than that, they really have nothing. Um, we just had to continue playing our playing our game. And I told them, like, they made a couple of plays. Now we have to go out and make a couple. Somebody got to step up and make those plays. And that's kind of what we what we harped on now, um, in halftime, that we just got to make – somebody got to make some plays. Now, obviously, an interception is is a huge moment. Three and outs coming out of halftime are, are huge moments. You guys, as a defense, have been able to get that done, setting the tone in the second half with three and outs. Is that something you guys talk about throughout the week? Hey, whether it's the start of the game or it's the start of the second half, we've got to set the tone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's all it's ideal to come out, you know, and just with that fire off rip and just play lights out, you know, straight out of the locker room. But you know, um, things happen. Um, things don't go our way, especially in the first half. And we just go and have time, make those in game adjustments. The coaches come from in the box and kind of. Give us those little nuggets of what they expect of um, what they think they're going to run or what, what beat us already that they think they'll go back to. Just use that as as kind of fuel, especially like the, use the first half of the plays that they made. We kind of use that as fuel um, to kind of make us play better, play harder, just in every aspect. You've got three regular season games left. Nebraska's the next one up. Two final home games this season. Um, what's the mindset of this def- the defense as you approach Nebraska? Mm-hmm. Um, just <clears throat> every time we step on the field, like we're just trying to uh, make our bid of the best defense in the country. Every time we step on the field, we want to just show who we are um, and what we what we want to be. Always, uh, we we always harp on our four pillars of uh, block destruction, ball disruption, uh, effort, and communication. And I mean, that's just kind of what we what we harp on and what we what we thrive through. That's kind of what 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 sets our defense our defense apart. That's kind of the things that we focus on the most. And I mean, just going forward, that's just what we continue to do. Uh, we feel like you know, if we we check off all those things on our list, um, then we're we're hard to beat. Last Tuesday night, the playoff committee came out with their initial rankings, and we all know there's a lot of football to be played. You're going to play some of those teams at the top of the list. They're going to play each other. What What was your initial reaction when you saw that they put Michigan at number five? Um, I mean, honestly, I just felt that, you know, it was a little high in, in my opinion, but, like, I can't change anybody's mind, and I honestly – don't really care how they feel. Um, we just got to, like I keep telling everybody, we just got to keep winning. As long as we keep winning, the cars are the cars are play. Um, just how they they'll fall, how they fall, and you know I feel like we just we we kind of have we have our future in our own hands. You know we have we have that, and all we have to do is just keep playing our ball, keep playing what we're keep doing what we're doing, and keep winning. And I feel like we'll be where we want to be. Is there anything that you guys or you individually learned from the success you guys had last year, the path you guys took last year, that you've been able to share with some of the other, some of the new guys like a Will Johnson, Mason Graham, in regards to how important every single week is, and then also, hey, they're going to start talking good, you know, and the playoff committee is going to come out with their with their rankings, but you know, like you just mentioned, it's. Our destiny is in our own hands. How do you help those guys understand it now that you've experienced it? Just telling the guys not to make it bigger than it is. You know, like uh, all the lights and all the glamour is, you know, it can get overwhelming at times. But I I try to kind of focus the guys in and kind of tell them, like, it's the same game we've been playing since we were were kids. You know, 
Don't make it too too much than what it is. Don't fall victim to, you know, the social media or what everybody else has to say. Just focus on control the controllables, really. Just control what you can control. Go out every day um, at practice. Um, just keep working. Keep grinding to be perfect in everything you do. And, I mean, it, it'll, it'll play out. Like, just don't – I keep telling those guys, just don't worry about what other people have to say. We know what we have, and that's all we need. Mike, thanks a lot, and uh, best of luck this weekend against Nebraska. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Well, thanks to Mike. He's back preparing for the Cornhuskers coming to town this weekend. It's a 3.30 kick, the only one that we've had so far this year. We don't yet know about that Michigan-Illinois game. It's either going to be noon or 3.30. As soon as we know, we will let you know. Thanks to you, the listener. Remember to like, subscribe, send us your thoughts. We'll make sure that we keep doing as good of a job as we possibly can throughout this football season and the offseason. So stay tuned in here for all your Michigan football information on In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen, presented by Meyer, presenting sponsor of the 2022 Michigan football season and proud supporter of hundreds of local sports teams across the Midwest. In the Trenches is part of our Michigan Athletics Podcast Network, MGo Blue Podcasts. The preceding is a Learfield presentation of the Michigan Sports Network.